Most store owners think of returns, refunds, and exchanges as a necessary evil, but it doesn't have to be that way. If done well, they could be a huge conversion trigger for your customers. Did you know that 91% of shoppers say they consider a store's return policy before placing an order? That's kind of crazy. So why do you hate it? Because it's a time-consuming pain, right? Plus they're a potential customer service nightmare. Well, not anymore. Bold makes a great app for managing the entire returns process. It's called the Bold Returns Manager, and it gives your customers a portal where they can submit returns, track them through the process, and it gives you a portal where you can review, approve, decline, and manage everything about them. You create all your policies that you want to allow, whether it's returns or exchanges, credits, whatever, and then apply it to what product should have that policy, and you're set. It's got a great backend for managing all the returns, making notes in them, and statuses that automatically keep your customers updated along the way. So stores are always trying to find better ways to compete, more than just on price. And a solid return policy and a smooth way to implement it is a great alternative to competing on price. Especially if you're in fashion and apparel, you know returns are such a big factor. So the Bold Returns Manager app has thought of everything. And if you're ready to take your returns to the next level, you need to try it. You can try it out for free for two months by heading to ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores, like Hoonigan and Yvonne Estelle's, to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elser, recording from EtherCycle HQ in Skokie, Illinois. And I am joined today by someone I helped build a Shopify store many years ago when we were early in our career and at our old office. And that brand has exploded since then. It's massive. I am joined today by Paul Miller of Cozy Phones. And Paul has has quite the, the career in history. He was the former producer of the Private Label podcast, which was a, an Amazon podcast. He's knows uh, podcast the podcasting world he knows amazon he knows e-commerce and he knows licensing which is an interesting bit of marketing we've never gotten into so he's been expanding this e-commerce brand cozy phone since 2015 and the best piece of advice he ever received from someone was to seek licensing opportunities for his products and once he liked it once he locked in a licensing deal with nickelodeon in 2017 skyrocketed that brand and culminated in a global mass market distribution deal. So we're talking like an already successful brand blowing up, being absolutely huge. And it's cool because I have gone, um, I was at a friend's house and I said, hey, I know, I'm like, where'd you get that uh, that headband? They said, oh, Amazon, it's cozy. And they're telling me about it. And I was quite, I knew, you know, I'd already, this was years after I built the store. I was well familiar. We even used um, their products with my daughter uh, when we travel. And so it's kind of funny. It's like, actually, you know, I know full well. I was just messing with you. It's one of my clients. Um, but so, Cozy Phones. 
Mr. Paul Miller, thank you for joining us. Tell me what a cozy phone is. Let's start there. Hey, hey, Kurt. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a been a wild ride for sure, and I appreciate you being part of it. Um, so cozy phones are a soft headband headphone with thin speakers in the headband. I originally started with sleeping headphones, and you can imagine how those work. It was sleep headphones for adults. Uh, but along the way, had the bright idea, I guess somewhat bright, to uh, create a version for kids. And so our, our headband headphones for kids have fun characters on them. So, for example, I have a unicorn, or we have a puppy dog, and, of course, we have the Nickelodeon products now, which are a Paw Patrol, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Those are the licensed ones. But um, overall, they're just a soft, comfortable headband headphone uh, that you can use, uh, stays on in the car, good for travel, great for you know um, just laying in bed and listening to a podcast. Yeah, it's a... It is an inexpensive, practical product that solves a literal pain or problem. So it's like the the quintessential entrepreneurial product we hear about on this show, right? Um, but yeah, it's like if you you know you got uh, uh, a to- you know babies, toddlers, they don't want they fidget with headphones. So and we wanted our daughter to be able to watch her iPad um, the last time we were on a plane trip, and bam, you slip these um, this headband on, she doesn't mess with it. It's perfect. Or um, uh, yeah, so like try to lay in bed with a pair of headphones, try rolling over. Not the most pleasant experience. So the Cozy Phones, um, really quite quite a, a clever clever product from day one. Where'd you get the idea? Oh, well, Kurt, it was, um, of course, I started as an Amazon seller, and I took a course on how to, you know, how to sell on Amazon, how to select a product. I actually started with a completely different concept of a product. Um, and that first product did not, take off or I decided to abandon it. But in the meanwhile, as I was searching around for what else I could sell, um, I personally have used another version of a sleeping headphone in the past that broke many years ago. So I came across something, uh, a supplier of a a very generic um, headband headphone. um, And I said, well, let me me give that a try. It kind of met all the criteria. There was an opportunity for a better listing, opportunity to modify the product, you know, make... uh, new styles, new colors. So I did that. That's how I started um, in about the spring of 2015. And we had some initial success with the adult products. And then along the way, uh, I did a photo shoot. uh, And my photographer put those, my adult headband headphones onto her 10-year-old with her tablet and took a couple of shots like that. And that's just, that was the aha idea right there. I said, wow, what if we could do these for kids in you know fun styles. So I actually had my daughter, uh, who's an art student now, create the first design for me. It was a green frog. I sent that drawing off to my manufacturer. We made a few prototypes, put them up on Amazon, um, and that was history. They started taking off from there, and uh, we we went on with that theme, making new characters, and eventually, which uh, led into licensing. The yeah, the interesting part, especially like starting with it um, early with you, was there really was not like there was no pressure to say, hey, the kids wildly outsell everything else. Like focus on that. It was, well, we've got three kinds. We've got uh, sportswear, this like the sleep and relaxation one, which is um, I think the difference is they're, they're fleecier. right? It's a different material. Yeah, sports. Uh, so, yeah, we're in three categories, sports, 
uh, sleep headphones and uh, kids. And the sports are lycra based, so that lycra with wicking fabrics and everything like that. And the yeah, the, the the sleep headphones are more of a lightweight fleece material. Yeah, and then we've got the kid ones, which look um, they're really fun. They've got a character look to it. Um, and when I still I remember building the site, and this is still a, uh, a a permutation of that same theme we built years ago. Um, Absolutely. It's out of the sandbox retina, I think, off the top of my head. Um, we didn't know, like, oh, this is the one that will be the clear winner. And over mm-hmm. time, like, it was after we built it, you came back, you're like, yeah, uh, the kids one is just exploding. And then we started rethinking, all right, let's rework the navigation and all that stuff. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting that you, the original idea – is not what you started with. You had to pivot. Okay. Right. Yeah. So we really, the scales have tipped. So, um, you know, the, and, you know, we, it's a different product. The kids product is a different product. Um, it's patent pending. Hopefully we'll have our patent issue this year. Um, so if, you know, if you go on Amazon and you look for cozy phones, uh, actually go to Shopify, <laughs> buy them on Shopify. I <laughs> Don't will. go to Amazon cause you'll find all the knockoffs. Uh, who are who are about to have a very bad day when our patent is issued? <laughs> yeah, I have. Uh, I will link to cozyphones dot com. Um, Thank you. <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah, no, a generally good product. We use it with our kids. Uh, okay, so you've uh, you came up with the uh, you get the idea, you get it manufactured, you've got it on Amazon. Um, then in a photo shoot, by chance, you realize, hey, we should do these for kids. Um, start producing the the original kids concept. Um, then start building the the Shopify e commerce store. What happens next? Well, uh, of course, one of the fun things about the e-commerce store was, uh, you know, we just, I wanted to start trickling in uh, traffic there. You know, we work with a, uh, uh, a common friend of ours to help run some Facebook ads. And because the product was so unique, um, we really had, you know, a pretty good level of response uh, on our e-commerce store. Great conversion rates. And, uh, you know, things seeing seen success over there, of course, seeing lots of success on Amazon. And uh, at that point, I knew I had something big. I felt like I had a tiger by the tail, and I was just concerned about well, how do I protect and grow this thing? Uh, because we know, we know what copycats are like, especially on Amazon. Amazon, uh, well, so, we had that conversation in the pre-interview where I said, you know, mm-hmm. uh, should, can I even mention it? And you said, no, I'm not like those other Amazon sellers. Because that, like with Amazon sellers, they are terrified of two things. Amazon takes their listing down or um, copycats just eat them alive. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's definitely impacted us too. Copycats and counterfeiters, we are able to uh, take a lot of them out who are, you know, um, uh, blatantly copying our IP. And, and others, it takes a little, a little more. But uh, so I was... As I was having that success, uh, calling around to different friends uh, in the business and saying, "Hey, what? You know, if you had this product, unique product, unique IP, and you want to grow it, what would you do?" And one of the folks that I talked to uh, suggested licensing. His brother's in the uh, entertainment business. He said, "If I were you, Paul, you know, you want to have something unique that you can protect and kind of ride off the coattails of that brand, I would try licensing." So. Um, you know, that was basically he, he suggested going to the licensing show in Las Vegas uh, that spring, and it was coming up in about 60 days. So I was kind of started researching it. Uh, I think uh, licensing.org was the first site that I went to. 
It tells about the uh, show in Vegas. You've got these big companies going out there, Disney, Nickelodeon, you know, Warner Brothers, superheroes, everything. So I, I went out to the show with no clue of what licensing was and no idea. I didn't have any, uh, really any appointments to speak of. Uh, I just was going out there to soak it up. Um, but prior to that, I had registered on the website and met an author of a children's book called The What If Monster. And she loved Cozy Phones. So she contacted me actually before the show and said, hey, would you be interested in putting my What If Monster on your Cozy Phones? And I was like, hey, sure, sounds great. She had a, you know, an audience of 10,000 or so fans. So I'm saying, this would be great. I do a deal with her. We make a monster Cozy Phones. She promotes it to her fan base. I promote it on Amazon. It's a win-win. So we did that. And we actually had that deal in place before I got to the show. It was kind of a boilerplate handshake deal, but that was my, my first entry into licensing. Hmm. I had, I a hundred percent did not realize that that what if character was <laughs> from a book. I didn't like, yep. you know, we worked on that. Um, cause you said a really cool product detail page. Um, and I remember the, the what if monster. And I think that's the one my daughter has. Um, mm-hmm. but it, no, okay. Interesting story there. So you, that was through, uh, licensing.org, you were able to connect with her? Yes, that was so. Uh, one thing, if anybody wants to you know, go to the show in Las Vegas every year, and it's typically in the spring, I think it's going to be in June this year, uh, you can go and pre-register for a matchmaking service and you put up your company profile and reach out to other people who are at the licensing show and try to set up meetings. Hmm. So they, um, that's through, like, is that licensing.org or licensing expo? Uh, it's, if you go to licensing.org, it, it'll um, link you over to Licensing Expo. Okay. I put both in the show notes so that uh, okay. people Super. can find it. I was going to say, so you had um, someone, so you said, you, know, you hit that point that my sense is you, you got to that point in your entrepreneurial journey where you start to have um, a, a crisis of conscience in that the business is successful, but you're not sure what to do next. And the truth of, of entrepreneurship is – pretty much everybody's winging it, right? In terms of like, hey, what are the next steps? Because there is no like one single playbook, no guidebook on what you do next. And so you started reaching out to friends. And it's good to, that that's a great success tip right there is, hey, surround yourself with a circle, a circle of successful people that you want to be more like. And so you ask them and someone said, you know, you should really get into licensing. So next best thing is, well, hey, surround yourself with people in licensing, by attending this licensing expo. And through that, before you even went there, you already had your first licensing deal. So that's cool. Um, then once you got to the licensing show, what happens now? Well, I just I want to add to what you said about your network sure. uh, real quick because that was super important. And that one call uh, changed the course of my business. And, uh, and the person that I called, his name was Mark Hirsch. Um, he was with Q Brands at the time. He was actually a person that I had booked on the podcast uh, when I was with the Private Label Podcast uh, with Kevin Reiser, and it, just to emphasize the you know the power of podcasting, it's so neat to be able to connect with so many people. It just adds to your network, and of course, I I like to attend conferences and do networking. So I just want to expand on that point: having that network available that you when you do come up with a business challenge or trying to figure out where to go. And you can connect with people and get great advice. You know, can be super meaningful. No, absolutely. 
So now I need to go back to your previous question, which I lost track of. <laughs> so you, um, we were we're walking through the timeline. Uh, right. You got to you've got your your first licensing deal. Now you're mm-hmm. at the licensing show. What goes down? So I still knew very little about licensing. In fact, the the contract that I did with Michelle from the What If Monster was a boilerplate contract that we came up with from a, a, another project that she had. So it wasn't a high-level license. It was, it was pretty pretty simple. I was able to meet with um, some players while I was there. Um, and for the most part, people were not interested <laughs> as uh, because I was still, still pretty small with limited distribution. So a licensor uh, is looking for a partnership with someone that has strong distribution and strong sales because they really have um, multiple goals. Uh, of course, they want to earn royalties off your sales, but they also want brand presence in the marketplace. And they don't necessarily want to tie up a license with a, a small player who doesn't have market share. So I didn't end up having a lot of success at the show, but I did have some follow-up success that I'm happy to share with you. Okay. So at the show, when you um, – so you just started – naturally, like everyone knows what they're there for. You've got your badges on. Do you just approach people and go, hey, can I license your stuff? I, like I, I'm having trouble picturing what this conversation looks like. Yeah. Uh, well, almost every booth there – you know. I can remember very vividly going to the Angry Birds booth. <laughs> and there's a gatekeeper at every booth. And the first question is, you know, do you have an appointment? And hopefully you had an appointment and you can speak with a licensing rep. If you didn't, you say, no, I don't have an appointment. Are there any available? And for the most part, there's no. They're all, you know, if you didn't book beforehand, you're not going to get an appointment. And, and but outside of those appointments, you know, your best bet is do networking. You know, I did. I had met a few people online and so forth. So I talked to people, and they they could then introduce you to, hey, here's my friend, you know, from Warner Brothers. And so you're having a drink with them, and you're talking mm-hmm. about things. And you're just making connections, or you're grabbing people's cards. In most cases, every single booth has contacts and cards. You can leave your card and grab a card, and then you can follow up with them after the show. Okay. So in this instance, going to the show without those appointments up front is a a stepping stone. Right. Okay. Yeah, and, and by the way, that show, uh, they also have a big uh, educational portion in conjunction with the show. So you could go to the show and the exhibits, or you can also you know, go early and go to some of these education sessions. So you go to the licensing show, you leave the licensing show, you still don't have a new licensing deal. Right. What happens now? So I uh, basically could tell that I was out of my league in licensing. So I, I sought a licensing consultant who I found uh, on LinkedIn and uh, she had worked uh, in licensing for a while and uh, was available. So I contacted her. We, we worked her network and a part of uh, her network was some folks who worked at Nickelodeon and uh, we got an appointment with them and we showed them their products and we were very fortunate to get in with a team at Nickelodeon who was uh, kind of entrepreneurial. They could see um, the the opportunity to work with us in a very unique product. You know, the licensors, they want to be the first one on a unique product. So so that they embraced the opportunity. We negotiated our first license with them. You know, as I mentioned before, it included Paw Patrol, 
uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, another one called Jojo Siwa, which is a pretty big, big if you got a daughter, she might know Jojo Siwa. I have kind certainly of a, watched my share of Paw Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we did that deal, um, and that was our first major deal. It got product out in the market, I think, in, I want to say November of 17. And uh, it takes a lot longer to develop product when you're working with a licensor, but it's worth it because now we are the only person who has, you know, Paw Patrol headband headphones. And those copycats that we talked about are not, for the most part, are not going to try to knock that off because they know they're going to be dealing with Nickelodeon, some serious IP issues if they try that. Yeah. Now, don't, now, when you have that license, if someone tries to pirate that product, they're going to end up dealing. Now they have they have two pissed off brands to deal with. One of whom is massive and very protective of their intellectual property. So yeah, that's right. totally a um, a fringe benefit there. Exactly. And and the real so that's that's a, definitely a fringe benefit. But now you have this mass appeal. You're not only do you have a nice product, cozy phones, but you got this mass appeal of everyone who follows Paw Patrol, um, you know, may appeal to that product. So uh, instead of uh, me just selling a generic version, I can now go out, you know, through Facebook targeting or whatever, target people who like Paw Patrol. And let's face it, if you're looking for a gift for your child and your child's favorite show is Paw Patrol, guess what? You're searching for Paw Patrol stuff. Yep. And, and then uh, another benefit is that you then become part of that uh, that universe of products for that brand. So it, it gives you a lot, a lot more opportunity to get into, say, other market channels. So, for example, if you go to Walmart right now and you go through the toy aisle, you're going to see a huge Paw Patrol section. Now, I'm not in Walmart, but where they're much more likely to take a meeting with me if I can show them a Paw Patrol product or a licensed product that fits into their assortment for that brand and is already a proven seller. Yeah, it gives you significantly more authority because there is that, that immediate brand awareness where it's like, I don't need to know Cozy Phones, I don't need to know who Paul Miller is, but I know what Paw Patrol is, I, un- I know what Nickelodeon is, and that lends, they're essentially putting a vote of, it's Nickelodeon saying, all right, Paul Miller gets our vote of confidence. Exactly. I I kind of state it sometimes as you're really partnering with the ultimate influencer, right? They have the audience. They have the trust and the recognition. Um, You're just uh, kind of doing it in a different way with a license. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, US-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now, back to the show. Hit me. So recapping, and I have questions about, um, I have some follow-up questions here, but recapping, you start your business in 2015. It's not that long ago. It feels like it was a long time ago just because things change and move so quickly. But really, realistically, not, not very long. And you're starting at $0. Then three years later, by 2017, you have a seven-figure business, right? That's right. I got in my show notes here, $4 million in 2017. 
That's correct. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's a phenomenal success. It, yeah, it's been. Uh, I'm very, I'm very grateful for my success, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, and certainly hard earned. Working with you, close enough to it to see like the amount of of effort that went into it. How much time did that like start to finish? Did that Nickelodeon deal take? I would say it took almost nine months by the time we got it to market. You know that I speak a lot about licensing now to e-commerce seller groups, and I have. Um, I have a free course that I'll give you the the URL for, and we have a paid course coming up. But the reason I mention that is because one of the things that I talk about in the course is the development cycle and the commitment that it takes to do licensing. You you know, when I did the What If Monster license, working with one entrepreneur, by the time we uh, had the first phone call, I had product done in 60 days and on the marketplace. That's awesome. Wow. But when you're working with uh, a Nickelodeon or a more sophisticated licensing um, entity, you know you've got this series of events. It's a, it's a pipeline of events that takes place. There's the first contact, you know, the concept. Yeah, we like it. Okay, proposals back and forth. Uh, you know, where are you going to sell it? Where do you want to sell it? How many do you project? Uh, what's the geography, what are the marketplaces, all those things have to be negotiated as part of the contract. The lawyers look at the contract, right? Finally get to contract signing, you get to pay your advance on your royalties or something called guaranteed royalties. You pay your advance and you start your product development. In some cases, you might be able to start product development in conjunction with your contract negotiations to get ahead on things. I actually did that with with Nickelodeon, but that's at my risk because if we didn't sign a contract, that would have been a wasted effort. Right. So once you get to development cycle, then you have to provide concepts. Concepts have to be approved. Uh, And then once approved, you provide samples. Samples have to be approved and modified. In my case, we, for Paw Patrol, we provided a concept and we had a very specific question on a feature of that product. I said, hey, do you want this feature or not? And they said, oh, no, that's okay. We don't need that feature. So we went through the development cycle. We did, uh, we basically go into final samples. And they said, oh, we want that feature. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, once they kind of, you know, you get this preliminary level of approvals, but then when you get up to advanced approvals, they say, wait, wait a minute, that's a key feature of our product or the character. What's that? Okay, back to the drawing board. Start over again. And then there's, uh, you know, packaging also. Packaging has to be approved. So you got to go by, you got to use their style guides. Um, so it's, you know, again, concept approvals, physical product approvals. It takes a long time. Uh, once you get all your approvals done for packaging and product, you can go into production. So the, I'm sure you knew going into it that it would be difficult because in the past it's just, hey, you come up with the design and can the manufacturer build it? And it's just you and the manufacturer going back and forth. Correct. Versus this, now you're essentially, um, you know, functionally you have Nickelodeon as a client approaching yep. you and saying, well, we don't like that. You have to change this and that. So I'm sure you knew you, – you went in with eyes open, knowing that that would be a, a process of, of back and forth and give and take. What, how bad was it? Ex- exactly. And, and again, I talk about that. Don't – look, if you 
cannot work with that. If you don't work well with others, maybe you shouldn't be on licensing, right? Um, it was Nickelodeon folks are great to work with. Their turnaround time was pretty fast. Um, obviously, we ran into a couple of bumps. Um, I'm pretty easy to get along with, so that was okay. But I also, one of the things that made it easier for me is I hired a designer who had experience in licensing. Uh, and that's another thing I talk about. You know, don't, if you don't know how to adhere to a style guide, don't try to do it yourself. There are plenty of designers out there can help that have done licensed products before that know how to work with a licensor. So she was actually submitting my designs and getting feedback for me instead of me not knowing what I'm doing, trying to, um, you know, understand their changes in the modifications. Eye color is not right. You got to use PMS, whatever. So it, it was challenging, but, you know, uh, not too daunting. I, I expected to be in for the long haul. It was definitely longer than I thought it would be. You know, so getting into the marketplace of November is pretty late for the fourth quarter that year. Um, but I learned things along the way. And there's definitely ways to you know, tighten up that process as you go. If you had to do it over again, what would you do differently? Or rather, what would you go back and tell yourself before, before Paul Miller in uh, 2016 or 17 jumps into licensing? Um, I would just probably have a better understanding of the um, development cycle and choose, really choose when you're going to put product on the market and then work backwards from then. So we have, uh, we've got a Pokemon product coming out uh, this year. (laughs) (laughs) And guess what? It's going to come out after the Pokemon movie. So that's good timing. And that's another thing that you do. So my, my whole point is work on your, your marketing date or when your product is going to hit the market. In licensing, it's a lot of it is based on certain things that are going to happen. So, for example, Pokemon movie comes out, uh, and you know there'll be a slew of product that comes out with that, and people start with that date in mind, and you work backwards from there. Well, all right, going, looking backwards, two things, two two follow up questions I want to ask that stand out to me. Number one, what are the the typical terms? of a, a licensing deal so people have an idea of, of what to expect um, and maybe what might be surprising about it and just a high level. And then second, well, it, it sounds like having the, once you get the first licensing deal, it opens up doors and opportunities for you because now you're, you're getting invited to uh, this Pokemon deal coming up. I don't think those things would have happened without the Nickelodeon deal first, right? Yeah, absolutely. Once, especially when you get a some a recognizable license with Nickelodeon, you get you get a usually will open the door to at least a conversation or a meeting uh, with somebody. Um, so it's it's definitely a a progressive deal. And again, you know, you can start with a small license. You don't have to have a big license to start with. Show some success there. I I created a case study around the What If Monster, and that was the first thing that I showed to Nickelodeon, and they were very impressed with that. So yeah, it's a stair step approach. Um, I want to talk to you about terms, but I wonder quickly, since I've been talking about, you know, kids, brands, entertainment, I wanted to make sure that I hit on the fact that you don't need to be in the kids space to do licensing. A really good friend of mine uh, is the creator of the George Foreman Grill. His name is Rick Cesari, and they, they were in the kitchen appliance business. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I had right? one. Yeah. yeah it's a huge deal. George Foreman Grill, right? And that, that, it, 
uh, Rick is actually a contributor in our course, and he tells the whole story about uh, how they developed the George Foreman grill. But that appliance was originally a taco maker. No way. <laughs> yeah, it's a taco, taco ground beef maker. So he tells the whole story, but basically they had the idea to partner with George Foreman and license the George Foreman name, put it on there. And if you, you know, look, go to any George Foreman grill, you can look on the back and you see who it's manufactured by. So there's things like, you know, kitchen appliances, um, cosme- even cosmetics. Another great example that my director of licensing uses is uh, in fingernail polish category, uh, there's a license for Crayola. So you get the cray, you can put Crayola on your bottle and you can make fingernail polish in all of the Crayola colors. Cool. So licensing goes way beyond, you know, kids and entertainment products. I just wanted to make sure that we got that out there because, you know, if you just listen to my story, you might think it's just children in entertainment, but it can go way beyond there. I don't know if you saw this late uh, last Christmas, but KFC, uh, there was a, there was a fireplace log with a KFC licensed smell of KFC chicken. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so throw the log in the fireplace. It smells like chicken. I I don't remember that, but it sounds brilliant. Yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty interesting. I didn't. I don't have a fireplace, so I didn't get to try it. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, licensing, right? You can really if you start thinking out of the box. Yeah, uh, coming up with um, yeah creative licensing deals. I right. Think, yeah, thinking outside the box with, with mm-hmm. stuff is important. Yep. So let me get back to your question about sure. terms. So it gets pretty complicated, but basically, let me give you the basics. Uh, usually there's uh, the number one way that the licensor gets compensated is in royalties. So it's a percentage of sales. And that might be wholesale sales, distribution sales, you know, FOB China or direct-to-consumer. Every single one of those levels might have a different royalty percentage. But let's just take um, wholesale, let's take direct to consumer. You know, you're probably looking at 10, 12% on a direct to consumer royalty deal. And so that means every time you sell a unit, you know, you've got to pay your your 10%. I mean, it, it can go as low as five in some cases, but somewhere in that range between five and 15%. And is you know, that? You've got to do the accounting and you've got to write the check. So is it like, all right, here is total revenue from those products sold, and they just get, all right, times 10%, and they get a check for that? Yep, exactly. Okay. It's, it's, it's the price. But again, you can have, you know, if you're on a, doing wholesale, you can have a rate for that, direct consumer and everything. So that's a whole other piece of this. You know, you've got to be prepared to do the accounting, uh, and you've you got to be prepared to be audited by your licensor if they ask you to. Um, because they don't want you trying to slip any product out there and not pay royalties on it. And that's probably a a big legitimate problem that they have to deal with. And not even, I would imagine, not just like from a malicious standpoint, but just because it could be a difficult thing to keep track of well. Yeah, yeah, you've got to have your, uh, your ducks lined up for that. So that royalty that you pay uh, is normally um, under contract for a certain amount of time. So say it's a two or three year contract and they will ask you to uh, commit to a minimum guaranteed royalty over the life of the contract. So you have the royalty percentage is one thing, but the minimum guarantee is usually uh, say 
a dollar amount over the life of the contract. So let's say it's thirty thousand dollars over three years. So uh, you're whether or not you sell or develop anything, you're committing to giving them thirty thousand dollars in royalties. Now the idea is that you're going to be very successful, sell that product, and you got to earn all those royalties to give them. But you know you have to be aware that you're you're obligated to them whether or not you you sell anything. And then, so that's the the minimum guarantee. But in order to sign the contract, they're going to want an advance on that guarantee. So it may be a third of the guarantee. So on a thirty thousand dollar deal, you might have to put down ten thousand dollars at signing. Uh, that kind of just keeps you uh, you're you're hooked into the deal. They don't want somebody sitting on a license and not developing it. So they want the minimum guarantee up front, and that's incentivized for you to, you know, pr- produce a product quickly and get it to market. They need you to have. They need to know that you have skin in the game, and it also exactly. it, it helps reduce. I think it helps reduce risk on both sides. Like obviously your product development's already expensive. You're giving up even more cash to do this as the merchant. But that that pinch, that pain, will help ensure that you take action and see it through. That's right. Absolutely. And you can, you know, you can either maybe, uh, you can negotiate, everything is kind of negotiable, but uh, you can negotiate some production time in there because you really don't want to, you know, if you have a two-year window and you have to spend six months of that developing product, then that's a lot of time that you don't have for selling. So sometimes you can say, okay, the... You know, the, we're going to give me six months of development, product development, and the contract starts. You know, after that. Very good. So, uh, is there anything I missed? I want to talk a little bit um, about ageism, and then your uh, your offer for our audience. Uh, but before we jump into that, anything I, I missed on licensing that you want to touch on? No, I think that in terms of the terms, those are the big ones. So there's the the royalty amount, the minimum guarantee. And the advance, and then I mean, you can get into lots of things that have to be negotiated: geography, North America, worldwide rights, channels. You have e-commerce, mass market retail. All of those aspects are negotiable within a contract. Um, but I outlined the big ones for you. Okay, very good. Yeah, this has been been tremendously helpful because um, I really I knew nothing about licensing. So hearing hearing you tell it, hearing it through your uh, your experience uh, really uh, quite quite illuminating. You, sir, are in your fifties, correct? Right. I was scared about that ageism yes. question for a minute. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. No. I was fifty three when I started this business. Okay. And I just i I think that's an important point to note because um, our idea as Americans of the entrepreneur, especially a a tech entrepreneur, and e commerce falls into tech is. Like twenty-two-year-old hoodie wearing Mark Zuckerberg, and it just isn't true that that's you'll be like your peak in you know when you're twenty-one. The um, I've read things that like people in their careers often peak in their thirties, um, but I have dealt with so many entrepreneurs of all ages, um, including you know, some folks in their their late sixties and seventies who make seven figures and are genuine inspirations um, to me. Is there? Uh, Anything you want to speak to on that point? Well, uh, I'm just fortunate. I feel very fortunate to be able to be able to start a career in e-commerce. You know, at this age, um, I had a lot of different careers in my in my life. It's an amazing time to be in this business. I don't think uh, it, I I still work from home with a remote team. So uh, 
age really it's it's obviously kind of hard to detect uh, how old I am so it doesn't doesn't matter I don't have to go out really very much in front of other people uh, to sell our product um, I enjoy you know to talk about our success and you know inspire other people it's pretty daunting to think about and and I did start over from zero at 53 it's very daunting when you're 53 you say oh man you know I should be getting set up for uh, be, be way set up for my career by then. So, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to speak and inspire people. Um, I was out at, um, uh, SellerCon last year speaking in Orlando and, you know, told the story and I had a lot of folks over fifties come up to me and uh, thank me and, uh, for the inspiration and anybody can do it. You can go well beyond 50 to do it. That's for sure. I love it. Thank you for that. Okay. So you, are now, in addition to licensing for your own store, growing this this tremendous seven-figure brand that I have no doubt is going to hit $10 million. You'll be an eight-figure brand in no time, um, if you aren't already. I don't know. But along the way, you are also giving back to the community. You are consulting on licensing as well through your – you have um, – sounds like a, a consulting firm called Next Level Licensing, right? Right. Well, I put together a course. Um, okay, a course. Called – yeah – the free course is nextlevellicensing.com. We have a, a paid course, which I hope to have launched in the next 90 days or so. Um, and the free course really just talks about the opportunity and licensing to help you to make the decision. And a lot of the things that I talked about with you, whether or not licensing might be good for you or not, that way someone can make some preliminary decision of whether or not they would you know, want to invest in a paid course or in a, in a consultant. So, I will not be doing the consulting myself, but because uh, I've got a business to run. Um, but what I do is I'll invite someone into our Facebook group where my director of licensing, who used to be with Pokemon and Nintendo, has got great amount of experience. So when someone needs hands-on help for licensing, she would be the one to, to help do that. I would absolutely um, love to chat with folks and, and share my ideas and thoughts. But when it comes down to handing off someone for true licensing consultation, that would be handed off to Karen. And the free course, the licensing roadmap for e-commerce entrepreneurs, is available at nextlevellicensing.com. And I will link to that in the show notes. Mr. Mr. Paul Miller, where can people go to learn more about you? Oh, well, that's the number one spot because if you go to nextlevellicensing.com and you sign up, you're going to get on my email list. Uh, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'll have to provide my profile for you. I think it's uh, LinkedIn slash The Real Paul Miller, uh, but uh, we'll verify that for you. Okay. I'll, uh, I will. I, we're connected on LinkedIn, so I will yeah, I will go look it up. Definitely. I, I've really. Uh, gotten to enjoy. If you want to get into in- industry-specific groups, I've really enjoyed um, connecting with lots of people in licensing on LinkedIn. I highly recommend it. All right. Mm-hmm. I will link to your uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Paul, this has been fantastic and enlightening. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable, feature-packed theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, 
easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will give you a full refund. To check it out now, go to ethercycle.com slash turbo and use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com slash turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the unofficial shopifypodcast.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them, and thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.